Growth of the administrative state means nearly no American is untouched by regulation of something or other. That's why agencies have to be careful when treading between guidance and rulemaking. It might sound arcane to the average person, but it actually has enormous impact on the economy and whether people think the government is acting fairly. Joining me with a highlight of a deep-dive look at guidance, Nick Perillo, a professor at the Yale Law School. Professor Perillo, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom. Now, this was published by the Administrative Conference of the United States, so they were interested in learning more about this themselves? Yes, that's right. The Administrative Conference is a very small federal agency that is dedicated to studying uh, ways to make federal government management work better. And let's start at the beginning, because even, and I study this stuff constantly, but guidance is not rulemaking. What is guidance? Well, so an agency has the acts of Congress that it administers, and then it also has full-blown binding regulations that it hands down, usually through the notice and comment process. Uh, But the regulations will uh, inevitably leave a bunch of ambiguities uh, or pockets of discretion that the agency still has. And if the agency wants to advise the public about how it's going to resolve those ambiguities or how it's going to use that discretion, uh, it issues you know, statements of some kind or other saying, here's what we think we're going to do. And these can take the form of memos or letters or manuals or highlights or bulletins or whatever. All of those things would fall into this general category that lawyers call guidance. And it's not the same then as an intention to propose a rule, or is it? Right. So uh, a guidance document would not be binding uh, in the way that a rule is or the way that a regulation is. And Because it's not binding, it doesn't have to go through the notice and comment process, and it's usually not subject to uh, litigation. And for that reason, guidance can be issued by the agency a lot faster and more cheaply uh, than full-blown regulations can, which is why at the typical agency there's, uh, there's a lot more guidance than there are regulations. This is the agency telling the regulated entities what the agency feels is the law's intent? Well, I'd say it's the agency telling the public, here's what we think we're going to do or what we're likely to do in these areas where we have discretion. But once we have to make a particular decision, you know, make a decision about a particular enforcement action or a particular licensing proceeding, we might do things differently. But here's what we think we're probably going to do. It provides some predictability, but not certainty. Uh, to the regulated public. Um, and and the reason it's not supposed to be ironclad and not pro- provide certainty is because, you know, you haven't gone through notice and comment. It's not subject to litigation. And so uh, we don't want the agency to, to set it in stone because it's a little more uh, informal and, and casual. That's before they would get to the specific parts per millions or number of rat hairs per pound of chocolate that they're actually going to allow in the rule. Right. It's it's supposed to be uh, suggestive rather than ironclad. And why did you look at this now? Why did the administrative conference want to study this at this particular time? Well, the use of guidance is a fundamental thing in agency management. I mean, it's really uh, one of the most important means by which agencies communicate with the regulated public. And there's always some tension between, uh, on the one hand, the fact that guidance is supposed to be non-binding, it's supposed to be tentative. And on the other hand, um, regulated parties have a variety of incentives to figure out what the agency wants 
and do it, uh, and uh, agencies have a variety of reasons and incentives to be consistent. So there's always this there's always this tension between the fact that guidance is legally supposed to be non-binding, but it can be kind of uh, challenging to keep it as uh, as 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 flexible as it's supposed to be. So. You know, this is a fundamental thing that I think the you know people concerned about federal agency procedure and management would always be interested in. The uh, administrative conference had done a report on this subject about 25 years ago that was pretty critical of the agencies, and it seemed uh, appropriate to look at this big issue at least once every generation. I, I mean, also a few high-profile examples of guidance had been in the news, uh, the DHS initiatives, the Department of Education initiatives, and that kind of thing. But those were not the particular focus of this study. This was really looking uh, kind of across the federal government and how this fundamental issue works in a whole bunch of areas. We're speaking with Nick Perillo. He's a professor at the Yale Law School. And I think your major finding is that when people take guidance wrongly as binding, even when it's not binding, it's mainly because of miscommunication and not really ill intent or misguided intent on the part of the agency, notwithstanding some of those celebrated cases where guidance was clearly misused and the agencies eventually lost in court. Is that a good way to characterize what you found? Well, I, I think that uh, there's always this legal principle that guidance is supposed to be non-binding and it's supposed to be flexible so that if there's an enforcement proceeding or a licensing proceeding or whatever to which a guidance document pertains, you know, there might be a presumption that the agency is going to follow the guidance, but uh, the regulated party is supposed to be able to argue, look, uh, let's not apply the guidance in this situation. Our situation is different. We have a better idea for how to handle this. Uh, please listen to us and let's do things differently. Let's be flexible. And so, uh, legally, the agency is supposed to be open-minded uh, to those kinds of arguments, and yet agencies aren't always flexible. And I, I do think there's a tendency to accuse inflexible agencies of acting in bad faith or, or deliberately trying to impose their policy preferences without going through notice and comment. But I think usually what's going on is that the agencies are uh, running into obstacles that a lot of large organizations run into when they're uh, trying to be flexible, but it's actually not that easy. So, for example, agencies are often under uh, pressure to be consistent uh, because if they're not consistent across different regulated parties, it can unlevel the playing field uh, and create uh, unfair competitive advantages and disadvantages uh, for different companies, and so an agency might want to be flexible, uh, and yet uh, they're 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 afraid that if they're if if they're flexible with respect to one party, it's going to give them a competitive advantage and uh, cause the agency to get complaints from yeah. that uh, that party's competitors. So it sounds like there's opportunity for maybe some training and education of regulation writers, so that they understand how to write and apply guidance. Right. And I, and I think the, the agencies have generally become pretty good at writing guidance in a way such that it doesn't read as binding. Uh, I think what's more important now is that there be some more training and education of the officials who apply the guidance in individual proceedings. 
um, to make sure they understand that it's supposed to be flexible. They're supposed to keep an open mind to uh, arguments to do things differently than the guidance. However, uh, training uh, is costly. Uh, training takes up uh, staff time and resources that could be spent on other things. So we probably can't expect all agencies to be flexible about all guidance all the time, but we could at least set some priorities and identify some areas where there'd otherwise be high pressure to follow guidance, even though it's supposed to be flexible, uh, and, uh, and concentrate on those. And by the way, how did you do your research? You talked to quite a number of people to understand this whole process and what people think about it. Right. I, I ended up interviewing uh, 135 individuals across agencies, industry, and NGOs in several different regulatory areas. And it was very important to us to try to get uh, multiple perspectives, to see things from the officials' point of view, see things from the regulated industry's point of view, see things from uh, from the, uh, the the activist and NGO point of view. Uh, I, I started with basically the members and contacts of the administrative conference, who are a group of people from several different sectors uh, affiliated with different political parties, and they uh, they appointed me to other people to to talk to. Nick Perillo is a professor at the Yale Law School. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. We'll post a link to the report from the Administrative Conference of the United States and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at iTunes or Podcast One.